With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Three, two, one. It is nine after the hour. I am Eric Erickson. This is WSB, the phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. If you would like to get a copy of the podcast or the show notes, you can text the word show to 444-999 and you will be able to get the podcast. Um... We make it easy for you. You can get links to Google Play and to iTunes, and you can also, you'll get signed up fairly automatically, quick and easy, to the daily email that we send out. So, we need to talk about fan fiction. Fan fiction is, uh, there's, there's a lot of fan fiction out there. And Star Wars has fan fiction. Fans write stuff. Uh, they imagine scenarios, you know, Harry Potter has this entire sick subculture of fan fiction of Hermione Granger having intimate relations, uh, with other people, uh, just disturbing stuff. Um, 50 shades of gray that, that is an awfulness or whatever. It was fan fiction for something else. Uh, apparently started off from something else, spun off from there as it's took on a life of its own. Uh, there's all sorts of fan fiction out there. Fans who are writers who who write their own stories based around the stuff they love. Star Wars, Star Trek, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, uh, you name it. And the Resistance. There is a lot of fan fiction out there from the Resistance. Much of it we call the news of the day. Uh, the front page of the New York Times, the Washington Post... Uh, in some cases, the Wall Street Journal and the L.A. Times and others, it's fan fiction. Much of it salaciously, breathlessly reported only to have to be retracted because it's not true. It's fan fiction. Someone tells someone something that gets repeated to someone else that's passed on to a reporter who reports it breathlessly as if it's the fact because it, it scratches the itch of his own conviction. And the latest is a Newsweek story uh, reporting that Larry Lessig, a, a highly regarded, um, a, a highly regarded professor who ran for president as a um, independent, wanted to run as a Democrat, didn't get any traction. Uh, he's a campaign finance guy who hates big money in politics. 
he he's authored a piece on how Hillary Clinton can become the president. And I can give you the 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 TLDR version, the too long didn't read version. And that is uh, Congress impeaches President Trump and President Pence. Paul Ryan becomes the president because he's a good guy. He will recognize that Hillary won the popular vote. He'll make her the vice president, and then he'll resign. Ta-da! Hillary Clinton is president. Or, better yet, it will forego impeachment. The cabinet will turn on him because he's insane, and they'll use the 25th Amendment. We need to cover the 25th Amendment. Because... The 25th Amendment, I did an hour-long NPR interview this morning, and the 25th Amendment came up. Uh, There's been a whole bunch of uh, people clamoring for fan fiction results based on the 25th Amendment. So the 25th Amendment, let me give you some some background history. Going back to the 1800s, really, uh, there was a real question of, and believe it or not, this was actually fairly unsettled. If something happens to the president, does the vice president become president or is he just the acting president? What title does the vice president have? Because it's clear from the Constitution that the vice president takes the powers of the presidency in the absence of the president. But does he fully become the president? Is he just discharging the the, the duties? Well, it, it, we we settled on the issue of yes. In fact, the vice president fully does become president of the United States. He is fully president. But that left open questions going all the way back to Woodrow Wilson, who was incapacitated in his later years in the White House due to a stroke, and his wife essentially is the only female president of the United States. She, she was, in all but name, acted as president of the United States for Woodrow Wilson. And after the Kennedy said there was talk about how we needed to, to fix this, to clarify, to figure out what was going to happen. And eventually, after the Kennedy assassination, Congress got around to drafting and passing the 25th Amendment. And it clarifies these things. In case of the removal of the president from office or his death or resignation, the vice president becomes the president, not acting president. He becomes the president. When there's a vacancy in the office of the vice president, the president will nominate a vice president who shall take office upon a confirmation of a majority vote of both houses of Congress. When the president transmits to the president pro tem of the Senate and the Speaker of the House of Representatives his written declaration, he's unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office. And until he transmits to them a declaration to the contrary, the powers and duties of the president will be discharged by the vice president as acting president. George H.W. Bush, he had some surgery while in office, had this happen. Um, uh, president Reagan invoked the 25th Amendment after his assassination when he had to go in for surgery. But then there's Section 4, and I want to read this to you in its entirety. Whenever the vice president and a majority of either the principal officers of the executive departments or of such other body as Congress may by law provide, transmit to the president pro tem of the Senate and the Speaker of the House their written declaration that the president is unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office. The vice president shall immediately assume the powers and duties of the office as acting president. Thereafter, 
when the president transmits to the president pro tem of the Senate and the Speaker of the House of Representatives his written declaration that no inability exists, he shall resume the powers and duties of his office unless the vice president and a majority of either the principal officers of the executive branch or of such other body as Congress may by law provide transmit within four days to the president pro tem of the Senate and the Speaker of the House their written declaration the president is unable to discharge his duties. Thereupon, Congress shall decide the issue assembling within 48 hours for the purpose, if not in session. If the Congress, within 21 days after receipt of the latter written declaration, or if Congress is not in session within 21 days after Congress assembles, determines by a two-thirds vote of both houses that the president's unable to discharge his duties, the vice president shall continue to discharge the same as acting president. Otherwise, the president shall resume the powers and duties of his office. Now, there are a couple of problems that people miss with this. First of all, the vice president has to be one of the people who notifies Congress. So Mike Pence would have to tell the House and the Senate the president's incapable. The man President Trump appointed as his vice president would have to say that. And then a majority of the cabinet, all of whom owe their jobs to the president, unless Congress designated another group. And if Congress designated another group, they would have to do so by legislation, which the president could veto, and it would take two-thirds of both houses of Congress to overruling. And then even if it worked... They can't keep the president out of the job if the president says he's capable of doing it unless two-thirds of Congress says he's still unfit. It's easier to impeach the president because you don't have to have the vice president saying anything. The vice president can't even preside over the impeachment trial of the president. And it only takes a majority of the House. It doesn't take two-thirds of the House for an impeachment. It only takes a majority of the House. It takes two-thirds of the Senate. It's a lot easier to go with impeachment. But the left, respected professors, respected law professors, are pushing this nonsense because they've gone mad with Trump derangement syndrome. It affects both sides. There are people who can never say anything bad about the president and defend every bad thing he does. And there are people who can never say anything good about the president and attack every good thing he does. It pollutes all of their minds. And in this case, what we're getting is the media pushing stories that amount to resistance fan fiction. Oh, if only they would do the right thing. They could get rid of the president. If only Mike Pence were brave. They throw around the word brave a whole lot. You know what's brave? What's brave is looking at the mob and telling them they're nuts. That's brave. And essentially, that's what Mike Pence is doing. They're nuts. This isn't going to happen. This is fan fiction from the resistance. It's all a fever dream on the left. I had totally forgotten about it. My buddy Joe texted me the Fifty Shades of Grey. It was Twilight fan fiction. You know, the the werewolves, vampires garbage. Yeah, Twilight fan fiction. So he, he texted me a publisher liked it but didn't want lawsuits, so they changed some of the minor stuff and the characters' names. So erotic fan fiction about vampires turned into a New York Times bestseller. Any hedonist atheists who don't believe in a fallen mankind should convert immediately. Amen. <laughs>
totally forgotten. It was, I knew it was something like completely disconnected from the topic you might think. Yes, it was that fan fiction. Wow. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800 WSB Talk. Uh, a reminder to you that on Thursday night, we're going to Monday night, the brewery that is, um, their garage location. I will be signing books. You can either bring a copy that you've already bought or you can buy a copy there if you want. Come have a beer with us on Thursday night at Monday night. It is their garage location, which is a new location. If you want the details, want to RSVP, want the address, any of that, text the word beer, since we're going to a brewery, uh, text the word beer to 345-345. Text the word beer to 345-345. And, well, I hope to see you Thursday night at Monday night. Uh, and you can get your book signed. Uh, the Harvey Weinstein matter won't go away. Scott Rosenberg is a screenwriter who was under Weinstein's uh, tutelage, privilege, uh, what have you, showered with gifts and all sorts of stuff in the bro culture of, of Miramax. And he's written a piece today that has really got Hollywood buzzing that essentially everybody knew. And he knows everybody knew because he was out at all these parties where everything was happening and all these other people who are now condemning Weinstein saying they were shocked they were all there. They may not have known he was raping people, but they certainly knew he was doing all sorts of other bad stuff. Well, the fallout continues. It is 40 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. So the, the Harvey Weinstein fallout continues. You've got this guy in Hollywood who's a noted screenwriter, Scott Rosenberg, writing a piece today that went viral, uh, essentially saying, look, we all knew Harvey was doing this terrible stuff. We didn't know he was potentially raping people or the... The altercation with the house plant. I'll just leave it that way. Uh, but they knew he was doing terrible things, that, that he thought he could get away with it, that he was um, forcing women to behave in ways they shouldn't have to behave uh, because he had the power to make them do it. And everyone turned a blind eye, himself included. He regrets it, but he's writing because... He thinks it is laughable to see so many people come out and deny they knew what was going on because he says he was there. He saw it all and he saw them all. They were all there. And it's laughable in his mind that they should be outraged. They should be running away from it and saying they never knew when they were all in the parties, all saw it happening, all talking about it happening, all knew it. Uh, and... In way, in light of this, there, there's been this Me Too hashtag that's cropped up. People coming forward announcing they've had terrible things happen to them. I mean, Hollywood, I mean, I knew it was, was morally rotten to the core, but it's even worse than I thought. I mean, listen, we've still got the pedophile stories out there that no one's coming forward about and everyone says are happening, just like the Weinstein stuff. When does that come forward? Well, that probably won't. Uh, for a number of reasons having to do with the, the perception of Hollywood undermining certain cultures they don't want to undermine. So they'll keep quiet there, lest others be tarred and feather with the sins of some. But one of the things that is happening is a bunch of feminists are starting to put up lists, particularly on Twitter, lists of things 
that you can do so that you can better help women in the world. Now, I, I thought men and women were equal. It's, it's amazing how uh, on the left, again, liberalism is the logic of the insane asylum. Women and men are exactly the same. Women and men should be treated exactly equally. Uh, but women get to be victims whenever they want to be. That's not to downplay what's happened. There are some real victims. There, there's some real horror stories out there. But we need to coddle and help women instead of treating them just like the guys. I, I saw one woman out there saying that it was a, it was a, a sign of, of male white privilege and the patriarchy that a man can wear the same suit three days in a row and a woman will get savaged for wearing the same dress more than once. I got to tell you, I don't know a single man who cares when a woman wears the dress multiple times. That's the matriarchy. That's other women complaining about stuff like that. So... One of them, it was a long list of things that that men should do to help women. And in the list, the very beginning of the list was that to understand that um, trans women are women. That was the number one issue on the list is to tell men that some men are women. I mean, because that's what it was. That's that's essentially. I mean, that the woman doesn't want to say that, mind you. But that's what it is. That that some men can be women. If you want to help women, you need to understand that men can be women. That's what this person is saying. And by the way, I would note it, it is a a childless twenty-something feminist who is is trying purporting to provide these things and, and provide help with this stuff. It's all a bunch of hooey and nonsense. But let me let me go through this list because it went kind of viral. Um, be be pro-choice and be in support of reproductive rights. There you go. You gotta be you gotta be a liberal. Support subsidized birth control. Again, you gotta be a liberal. Vocally advocate at your workplace for more equal pay. Yep, there you go. Tell your local officials you're a man who votes and you prioritize women's issues. What exactly are women's issues? I thought men and women were the same. How can there be women's issues? See, and that's just it. This whole thing descended into farcical left-wing parody that you've got a, one of them was you have to understand intersectionality, whatever that is. Yeah, racism and intersectionality and do everything you can to empower and amplify black women. And I don't even know what the, the letters, I have no idea. Oh, and befriend children. Y'all. This is crazy. And there were people tweeting around how, how wise and, and brave this, this woman is to utter unconventional, unoriginal leftism. I mean, because that's what it is. Unoriginal, unconventional leftism. To think that to support women... You have to be a, a leftist who wants to give people free birth control because, you know, the women, they can't get jobs and take care of it themselves. Now, my buddy Jesse Kelly, who writes with me at The Resurgent, he, he came up with a list to respond. Uh, and before I do anything else, before I even go to commercial break, I just got to read you some of what Jesse Kelly's list is because, you know, I, I suspect that. Uh, there are a lot of people out there who could take advice to this. Men, if you're looking for ways to support women, don't listen to the women. I've got the list right here, he writes. Pay for dinner. Most women are poor and jobless. They need you to pay for their salads. When you're watching football and your wife is cleaning, be kind enough to offer to buy her a one-time maid service because she works hard. 
when she's going on and on and thinks you're not listening, throw in an occasional uh-huh and I can't believe she said that. When she's mad, call her princess and place your hand on her shoulder. Works every time. If you want to watch the kids while she has a girl's night out, if she wants you to watch the kids for, so she can have a girl's night out, tell her to get a babysitter so you don't have to feed them. When she wants to talk paint colors and decorations, text her friends and invite them over so she has somebody to listen to who cares about that. Leave little notes like the one I left my wife this morning. I took out the trash. You're welcome. Your butt looks great in those pants. (laughs) She'll want you to get to know the neighbors. Get face down in the gutter drunk at neighborhood functions. Show them you can party and are a fun guy. Women love guys who take risks, so cancel your family health insurance. And Kevy Harry th- carry heavy things for her, telling her it's because you're not strong enough. Just follow those simple steps, and she'll be the happiest woman on earth. Much better than thinking that men can be women. Hello there, Eric Erickson here. Um, I don't even have a minute, so I'm not going to do anybody an injustice by taking your phone call and having to hang up on you, so bear with me. Uh, remember, you can text the word SHOW to 444-999, get the daily email, you can get the podcast link, all of that. Uh, there will be a podcast up, I wanted to put it up this afternoon, didn't get to it, on uh, the quest for the historic Jesus. I know some of you are interested in that, the quest for the historic Jesus. Uh, you can listen to it uh, on the podcast uh, by texting SHOW to 444-999. When we come back, uh, did any of you feel completely out of place in American politics today. Uh, I do for sure. I wrote a piece on it this morning. It's kind of gone viral online and exploded. I want to talk about it when we come back. Strangers in a strange land, it seems. It's 10 after the hour. I'm Eric Erickson here on WSB and with the resurgent.com. You can sign up for the daily show notes and get the podcast uh, by texting the word show to 444-999. And I want to have a a conversation with you about something I wrote this morning that's kind of taken on a life of its own. Uh, and that is being a stranger in a strange land. Feeling, yeah, I, we are all political animals. You listen to the show or not. It doesn't matter. You're a political animal. Uh, people are political animals, uh, some more so than others, but all of us engaged in some way in politics. And I have to tell you, I have more and more over the last year in particular uh, felt very much to be uh, out of place and out of sorts in politics. And I've been dwelling on this a while, and I haven't really talked about it with you guys. And I know a lot of you, yeah, the book signing in Lawrenceville had a lot of people come up and say the same thing. Where is my place in the world today? Where do I belong? And I don't know that I have an answer to it. 
But I'll tell you for myself, uh, I don't know that I belong in either party. I'm certainly more inclined to vote Republican than Democrat. I was an elected Republican, and there are a lot of great Republicans out there. Mike Lee, Ted Cruz, Ben Sass, Rand Paul. Uh, my goodness, I, I, I like Mike Pence a lot, and there are days that, that I applaud the president. But there are a lot of days that I don't. His attack on John McCain today and seeing a lot of Trump supporters attack John McCain as a traitor because they disagree with the president is horrifying. I want my kids to know that there's more to life than politics. And in fact, most of life is not politics. Even though the left, I think, really does uh, want to make everything political, we have to resist the temptation. And part of this, if I am real honest with you and honest with myself, it comes down to one thing. I have spent more time in the past few years trying to reconcile my faith and my politics, and oftentimes they clash. And I see a lot of my friends trying to squeeze their faith into their politics, and I got to conform. I think I got to conform my politics to my faith. And where the two collide and clash and are in conflict, faith's got to win out on politics. So I've been more mindful. What What is my role to the widows, the, the poor, the refugee, the orphan? What is government's role? I, I listen, I, and I don't want any of you to hear that. I think that, that we need the government to be doing things uh, because I think that's social justice, liberal theology nonsense. Um, it, we have an individual obligation, and I think the, the, the liberal theologians and the le- secular left, they like to offload their obligation to government so the homeless man can be an abstract person, a abstract problem that someone else in government, a bureaucrat, deals with. We, the individuals, have to deal with it. Seek you first the welfare of the city. That was what Jeremiah said. Uh, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for it in its welfare. You will find your welfare. I think we've got to seek the welfare of where we are. We've got to seek the welfare of this country. We're strangers in a strange land called home to somewhere else. And for a while, I thought I was in the tribe headed in a certain direction. And now I don't know where the hell I am or where they are. I think I know where I am. I don't think I've changed. I think a lot of them have changed. And Things just seem discombobulated. The world seems like it has lost its mind, this country included. I, I saw today at, out in Los Angeles, there was a, a drag queen dressed as a demon, an actual demon, reading books to children for a, a drag queen story time. I was like, what on earth? We really have gone insane. So what do I want? I don't know that I want a new party, but I certainly want my party back. And I think the Republican Party has lost its way. So I did an hour on NPR this morning. There were a bunch of liberals who would call in very upset uh, and and think I wanted sympathy for screwing up the country or something. You know, I I don't have a lot of regrets in politics. There are some things I'm not proud of. I did. I wrote about them in my book, as a matter of fact. But I, I, I don't regret one bit backing Tea Party challengers and Republican primaries. In fact, I think a lot of the people that Republican Tea Party activists supported went to Washington and broke their promises, and that gave rise to Donald Trump. The The fact that these people went to Washington promising one thing and did something completely opposite, uh, they left people in an existential crisis with no hope of help, thinking they had tried everything they could, so now they needed to blow it up. And, and I get that, and I don't blame them. And to the extent that Donald Trump is God's wrecking ball, God bless him. But I've had a lot of people tell me that Trump is Cyrus and he's basically he's restoring the kingdom. He, he's restoring people to the promised land where they can rebuild the temple. And I'm starting to wonder, is it really the story of Cyrus or the Maccabean revolt? That's not in the Bible unless you're Catholic. Maccabees is in the Apocrypha.
in in the Maccabean revolt, revolt uh, that Hanukkah revolves around, they they cleansed the temple, they purged Jerusalem of the pagans, they took back the temple, they restored it, and it went downhill really fast. Uh, ultimately, we got to Herod because of the Maccabean revolt. The the people fared poorly after Judas Maccabeus and and the like uh, took over the temple and restored Jerusalem and set up their own kingdom. It, things did not turn out well for them. And I just think there are a lot of people on our side, and if you're listening, I, I venture to say you probably lean center right. Not all of you do, but most of you do. If you only hear one thing that I say tonight, hear this. I think there are a lot of godly people who are searching for political solutions to spiritual problems. And Donald Trump is a political solution for spiritual problems. And I don't think we have the ability to create a heaven on earth. I don't think we have the ability to solve the spiritual problems. God does. And right now we've got a Republican Party that just seems out of whack. We've got a Democratic Party that has been hijacked by a mean-spirited secularism. They preach, evil preaches tolerance until it's dominant, then it seeks to silence good. That's what we see the Democratic Party doing to people these days. I want a new party, or at least a, a conservatism that's actually conservative, that's not defined by beating the left, but actually has ideas that recognizes there are some people who can't take care of themselves, and if we're a party of life, uh, there are people we have to take care of. We can't just throw them out onto the street, and I don't think a lot of Republicans want to do that, but there are some who do, who don't care. I want a pro-life party, a pro-family party, one that structures the tax code to benefit the family. I want a party that fights for school choice. That if we really believe that all men are created equal, we need to provide them as many equal opportunities as possible to get a good education so that when we don't have equality of outcome, we can certainly improve people's lot in life through a good education. I want a party that secures its borders but doesn't demonize its neighbors, that we don't attack Mexicans or, or people from Central and South America because of who they are or where they come from, but that we do secure our border and say you have to follow our laws to come here. I want a party that doesn't punish the kid who came over as a toddler with illegal alien parents who doesn't know any other country. I don't want to send that kid back home because this is the only home he's ever known. But I don't want to give his parents citizenship, let them stay, maybe, but make them go home if they want citizenship. But at least don't break up the family. Let them stay. They've been here for 30 years and they haven't broken the law. Let them stay. Other than crossing the border. I get that point. But there's no reason for the vitriol. And I want a party that supports the First Amendment as much as the Second. I want expansive gun rights in this country, but I don't want a president who demonizes the press and threatens to shut them down because he doesn't like the news. And I don't want a party that cheers on the president and suddenly abandons their First Amendment uh, stance because the president does. I want a party that's beholden to ideas, not men. That's what I want. You know, to the extent I've changed over the last few years, part of it going to seminary, I admit, I think I've changed for the better, but it has certainly opened my eyes to the number of people who try to write their faith standards to comport to their politics instead of having their politics comport to their faith. And it has really made me aware that more and more in this country, there are real spiritual problems and everyone's grasping for political solutions. The collapse of the family is a spiritual problem and it causes political problems. You know what I also want in this country? I want less cowards in the pulpit who are willing to talk about those spiritual problems. Because we got a lot of cowards in the pulpit. 
a lot of people who they don't want to be disliked by their congregation, that they're afraid they might lose members of their congregation. They they see the millennials. A buddy of mine in Nashville actually told me he went into a church today where the pastor told him he took down the cross because it was upsetting millennials. I am not making that up. We need Amoses in the pulpit. That's what we need. We need Amoses on the town square, and we need them in politics. And I don't know that we have enough of them. And I guess to the extent that I can do anything, I know there are a lot of you who are amening right now, and I can at least be a voice. I don't have to run for office. I can just be here and, and tell you what I think. And you and I may disagree. There are plenty of times we have disagreed. But I'll tell you what I t- think, and we can agree to disagree. But I'm certainly not going to tell you what I think you want to hear because I think the biggest problem in politics these days and talk radio and TV and everything else is there are a lot of people who are market testing research saying this is what they want to hear. Let me tell them this. And they don't even believe it. I will tell you what I believe. I won't tell you what you want to hear. And I believe that right now we got a lot of people searching for things that don't exist and ignoring the one thing that truly exists eternally. And I think that's polluting all of our sides in politics. Oh, this is just delicious right here. There's a Fox News poll just out um, that it was over the weekend, though. So you got to be careful with that. Uh, but Doug Jones and Roy Moore in Alabama are tied 42, 42, 11% unsure. Uh, Doug Jones being the Democrat, Roy Moore, the Republican. Now this is a weekend poll and weekend polls tend to lean Democrat. So you, you got to give Roy Moore the slight advantage here, but, but now listen, I would support Roy Moore and encourage other people to support Roy Moore, but there is something here that needs to be said, and there aren't a ton of people who want to say it, and that is the fact of the matter is that Mitch McConnell poured vast resources into beating Mo Brooks. He wanted Luther Strange and Roy Moore in the runoff because Mitch McConnell was convinced that Luther Strange would be able to pick off Roy Moore and couldn't beat Mo Brooks. So he beat Mo Brooks, and then Roy Moore beat Luther Strange. And, well, guess what, Mitch McConnell? Welcome back. The phone number, 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. Uh, let's go back to the phones. I want to go John and McDonough. Welcome. Hey, Eric. Quick point. Uh, the over 20-year-old dreamers have been here long enough that they should have applied for citizenship. And uh, I feel compassion for the younger ones. You know, You know, maybe they're still in their teens. Uh, that are minors, perhaps, but the over 20-year-old, the job-holding ones, the ones that are in college, they know they've been breaking the law. And, uh, you know, if, you, if you're going to allow that kind of lawlessness uh, and if you're going to try and, you know, Bible-whip somebody uh, instead of pistol-whipping, Bible-whipping because of the moral high ground of, oh, we got to take care of these folks, you know, at 20 years old, they know they're breaking the law. And uh, they're holding a job that somebody else could be taking. 
they do need to apply for citizenship. Um, yeah, they do need to apply for citizenship. And Should I think have applied for citizenship. Well, I think a good number of them probably have, although for a while there, if you'll recall, they couldn't without being deported. Uh, and that was one of the executive orders that was entered uh, that was held constitutional. Uh, my The way I look at this is you've got a bunch of people, and they are in their 20s now, who came here when they were toddlers. They don't know any other country. They've never been to another country. They haven't broken any laws other than their parents brought them here legally. So why don't we put them on the path to legality? That's why, by the way, this is why I like the um, the Langford plan, because it would give them uh, permanent resident status, but would not give them citizenship. They could apply for citizenship uh, later uh, and would have to get to the back of the line without having to leave the country. Their parents, on the other hand, would have to leave the country to get citizenship. I think that's fair. Listen, these kids didn't do anything wrong other than they came here with their parents. And what you're asking them to do now is to abandon the only country they've known and their families and go to a country they know nothing about. Uh, and wait to get citizenship. I, it, this is their country for all intents and purposes. They speak English. They're here. Um, I, I don't think we need to break up their family uh, because uh, their parents brought them here when they were toddlers. And if their parents are law-abiding people, I, I won't say citizens, if they're law-abiding residents of this country whose only bad deed was they came here illegally, I don't have a problem saying, okay, stay, but you can never be a citizen, and that is your punishment. You can't ever have citizenship here. Uh, if you want citizenship, you do have to go home, and you have to get to the back of the line. I, I think that's a good compromise. But here's the problem with that. If we don't get serious about securing our border, it doesn't matter because we're going to have a bunch of people come here. You're going to have a forged document bonanza. People are going to lie about it, have documents purporting to prove that, and we're never, ever, ever going to solve this problem. We're just going to have more mass illegal immigration. We have got to secure our border before we do any of this. I honestly think that the conversations of some of my friends who are a diehard, round them all up and send them home, would change, and some of them will concede it, if we built the freaking wall. Why do we not have the wall yet? I am a big proponent of the wall, and I think we can't have reasonable, honest conversations about illegal immigration until we know the border is secure. That should be step one. And on that, though we may disagree on what to do with the dreamers and whatnot, on that I think we should all be able to agree, secure the freaking border, and do it today. Now, let's see. I had something that I wanted to talk about, and the conversation about dreamers made me, oh, I know what I wanted to talk about, Jane Fonda. Yeah, if you heard, there was another F word that was about to come out. <laughs> Jane Fonda's not proud of her country again. The woman who sat on the tank... With the Viet Cong, she, she's not proud of her country. Now listen, I, I am a firm believer that we have to be able to forgive and show grace to people, that we cannot define them by their one bad act. We cannot define Jane Fonda by sitting on the tank in the 70s, however long ago that was. That we are all allowed to grow up and move on, and she has expressed regret in the past for that, that it wasn't her intention to be a propaganda tool. Uh, I forget, I don't know if she said she was young and naive or whatnot, but anyway, she didn't mean to disgrace the soldiers, uh, the American soldiers, whatever. Uh, but here she comes again, a Hollywood actress who is ashamed of her country. Why doesn't she be ashamed of Hollywood? 
Because it's not the country that has a rape culture. It's Hollywood that has the rape culture. She She's upset that the country elected a guy like Donald Trump. Uh, Hollywood basically appointed as king a guy like Harvey Weinstein. I, I will really take Hollywood actors and actresses seriously in their moral preening if they first clean their own house and stop posing at denial, saying, I never knew, I'm shocked and appalled, like Hillary Clinton said of, of Harvey Weinstein. I'm shocked and appalled. None of you are. And now we've got that Scott Rosenberg guy who wrote the big piece today who said all these people saying they're shocked and appalled. He was at all the parties with them where Harvey Weinstein was doing this stuff, and they all saw, they all witnessed, they all talked about it. Now, I don't know that Jane Fonda was there, but I have a hard time believing someone as connected as her didn't hear the stories, and yet she's shocked and appalled like the rest of them. So spare me your moral preening Hollywood on Donald Trump. The Harvey Weinstein's not president of the United States, and you people elected Donald Trump a serial sexual harasser and assaulter as president of the United States, so it's a big difference. Yeah, Bill Clinton. It is 55 after the hour. I am Eric Erickson here on WSB. You can always go to theresurgent.com as well. Don't forget you can text the word show to 444-999 to get the podcast and the show notes. You can text the word beer to 345-345. If you want to come out and hang out with me at Monday Night Brewing on Thursday night. Um, it is going to be a good time. I'm going to be signing books as well. Uh, on Friday, just so you know, I, I would appreciate some prayers. I've never done this before. I'm going to be on Bill Maher's show on HBO. I'm, I'm headed to Los Angeles Friday morning. Won't be here Friday night. Uh, I will be on with Bill Maher. Uh, Margaret Hoover, who's a friend. James Carville, who's a friend. And then Seth MacFarlane will be with me on the panel uh, discussion. So it should be an interesting time. I haven't been to Los Angeles in a very long time. I've never done the show. They've literally wanted me to be on Bill Maher's show for eight years, I believe, seven or eight years. Uh, they have wanted me on the show. And when I was at CNN, it just never worked out. And when I was at Fox, uh, Fox tended to, to veto the idea of me being on the show. And now that I'm on the book tour, they've said very graciously, go on and do it. So I'm going to do it. Uh, we will see how it goes. Makes me a little nervous. There's a story I want you to keep your eye on, by the way. The security guard at the Mandalay Bay who was shot um, by the shooter out there in Las Vegas has disappeared. And they think he's largely gone into hiding to get away from the publicity. That's the prevailing wisdom right now. There are some rumor monger sites out there making some suggestions about him assassinating his character. The timeline was all screwed up at first looking like it was six minutes beforehand, but the hotel going back and checking security tapes, whatnot say, no, it, it happened while everything else was in progress, but he's disappeared. He was supposed to be on Hannity and elsewhere and disappeared. Keep your eye on the story. It is developing. I will be back here with you guys tomorrow night. And don't forget about Monday night on Thursday night. <laughs>